Corinthians 8, 1 to 13. Shall we hear the word of God? I'm reading from the New Century Version. The title is about food offered to idols. Verse 1. Now I will write about meat that is sacrificed to idols. We know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs you up with pride. But love builds up. If you think you know something, you do not know yet. You do not yet know anything you should. But if any person loves God, that person is known by God. Amen. So this is what I say about eating meat sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is really nothing in the world. And we know there's only one God. Even though there are things called gods, smudging gods in heaven or on earth, and there are many gods and laws, for us there is only one God, our Father. All things come from him and we live for him, Jesus. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things were made through him, and we also were made through him. Seven. But not all people know this. Some people are still so used to idols that when they eat meat, they still think of it as being sacrificed to an adult. Because their conscience is weak, when they eat it, they feel guilty. But food will not bring us closer to God. Refusing to eat meat does not make us less pleasing to God. And eating does not make us better in God's sight. Verse 9. But be careful that your freedom does not cause those who are weak to, in faith to fall into sin. You have knowledge. So you eat in an idol's temple. But someone who is weak in faith might see you eating there and be encouraged to eat meat sacrificed to idols, thinking it is wrong to do so. This weak believer for whom Christ died is ruined because of your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers and sisters in Christ, like this, and cause them to do what they feel is wrong, you are also sinning against Christ. So if the food I eat causes them to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause any of them to sin. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So we have our own Reverend Kingsley Kwesi to minister to us. We pray that the Lord will use him to his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Father, thank you for the privilege of bringing your word this morning. I humble myself and ask that Christ will be exalted. Indeed, he's the one who has overcome everything, every struggle, every 
weakness. And so, Lord, we ask that you will speak to our hearts. You will bring a transformation. We pray that the wanderer will come home. A weak brother, sister will be strengthened and encouraged. And those that are strong will defer to the weak. And help us together to grow into the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, I am uh, I'm wearing this. I am in my official attire, kind of. Because the subject we are dealing with is, is a bit heavy on me. And I want to be sure that I don't sound like I'm not a pastor. So my dressing alone will help me. For you to accept me. In case I go off, at least for the sake that I'm wearing clerical, you have mercy on me. And you won't lynch me. You will show some mercy to the, to, to the collar. Because I'm going to... Things God was sharing with me were a burden on me. And I think I will touch some nerves a little bit this morning. And I'm, I'm praying that grace will be abundant to the preacher and the hearer. Amen. amen. And my favorite people in the air-conditioned chapel, I can't hear your Amen. Praise the Lord. I will soon come down to you. So we're looking at God of the strong and God of the weak. The same God is for the strong and the weak. And our theme for the year, can we go over? Some of us are not aware that this year we, we have a theme. So I always try to remind us we're still in, in the early months of the year. So can we say together, God's love in action through us. God's love. So that is the theme for the year. In case you miss some of ourselves, it's God's love in action through us. And this quarter, we are understanding God's love. And today, my focus is God of the strong and the weak. As I always do, I try to keep my sermon in a little format. I will try to talk about what it means to be strong or weak as my proposition and look into the purpose of knowledge as to uh, how people are strong in knowledge and how they ought to use the knowledge to help others in church through love. And then the product that must come as a result of your knowledge and love is a good conscience and the response to which you can have to the word of the Lord. And I always want to remind that I know a lot of you come from different places. You pass by churches to come here. And on behalf of the senior pastor and the Dickens, we want to say thank you for choosing Calvary Baptist Church. But this is the reason why. This is our mission. And I, I try to call it in three C's. To exalt God in worship, I call that celebration like what you are doing right now. We celebrate during our midweek services, on our Sunday services. And we grow towards Christian maturity through our small groups. That is why you have to go for seafood. And if you don't know your shepherd and you don't know your deacon, you are not living on mission. You are just around the church. And so we connect through small groups to grow towards Christian maturity. And we reach out to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I call that our contribution. We do that through our evangelism outreach, through joining an auxiliary and serving our community in different ways. This is the vision. A vibrant, can we all say this together? A vibrant congregation. Or can we do it for the last time? The vision of Calvary Baptist Church. A vibrant congregation impacting the world. You think we are a vibrant congregation yet? Then we are on vision. Put your hands together for Jesus. Yes. I'm suggesting three things for you to reflect on while I preach in this few minutes. On a scale of one to ten. Can you gauge where you are? You don't need to tell anybody. It's, it's a personal self-reflection. One being weak. And 10 being strong. Do you see yourself on the scale? 5, 10, 8, 9, 9 and a half. 
And how do you care for weak if you are above five? Do you care for those who are one, two, three? That's if you find one, will you? And does being strong make you puff up? Which sometimes comes with knowledge. Or with humility, are you willing to edify? To build up others? These are things I want you to be thinking about whilst I present this gospel. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tried to answer questions to the church in Corinth. And he answered many questions. I know in chapter 7, he answered questions about marriage. And uh, I know this last weekend, it's been a lot of programs on family and Valentine and all that. And, and, and they asked Paul about whether it is good to marry. And Paul says, yes, he speaks about Christians marrying Christians. And he, he speaks also about Christians who are married to non-Christians and how they ought to behave in chapter 7. And then he finished with how a single person ought to live his life for Christ. But in chapter 8, he responds to Christians' liberty. And it talks about knowledge that ought to be balanced with love. And, and then it goes on to talk about in chapter 9, authority must be balanced with discipline. To those of us entrusted with authority at the office, in politics, in church, as pastor, that I need to balance that with discipline. Even in the interest of the nation or in the interest of the church. Experience must be balanced with caution and freedom must be balanced with responsibility. So this is the themes you find Paul. Today we are looking at just the first part about how knowledge ought to be balanced by love. And my proposition is this. The difference between the strong and the weak. It's about the level of knowledge. Knowledge, the experience, the heart in work, in growing towards Christ, the exposure to temptations and how you've overcome them and how you've exercised your conscience and you have grown in the Lord. How when you lose a dear one, you feel like your world is crumbling down and then you begin to look through scripture. I hope I have permission. Thank you. When, when I know we are, we, well, some of us came for a memorial service. And sometimes we lose someone so close to us, like Auntie Mary. And for everybody who has known her, how dear she is to us. And you feel like you got to weep and weep and weep. And it's okay. Because Jesus wept. I always talk about that. But then out of knowledge, knowing where the Lord is keeping her. And knowing that for certainty, God will allow us to meet again. It gives us a respite, an assurance, a relief. And allows us that we do not mourn like the world mourns. It's painful. We can't take that. And it may take time to heal. But yet, the knowledge we've acquired allows us to know that God's willing, God willing, in the fullness of time, we shall be with Auntie Mary again. That must comfort us. That must give us hope. That must allow us to worship and to thank God. So you are invited in thanking God, not because you are happy of the death, but you are happy to know that she's in a good place. And that it is God's will that at such a time, such a time, he calls his own to his own. We have questions with no answers. But that's what knowledge allows us to do. But this knowledge can make me insensitive to you. And can almost make me puffed up because I know that. And start to talk down on people who are mourning. And say, why are you mourning like you're a little child and you're a kid? Shut up. Don't you know it's, it's okay to die? No. You're missing the whole point. That is knowledge that is puffed up. 
So today we are looking at the strong. In this context, I just people with deep knowledge and experience of spirituality whose faith is grown and can exercise their faith in gray areas, in questionable areas. In time people die, we can even say before their time. Because we know that a man's life is about 70 years and 80. So you're questioning 62, too young to die. But knowledge allows us to exercise some kind of restraint and have some hope. The weak suggest people newer to Christian faith and younger believers whose knowledge is shallow. It, it's shallow and therefore troubled with areas like death. Trouble with areas like what kind of attire do I need to wear? They, they worry about what meat is offered to idols according to 1 Corinthians 8. But God is the God for the strong and God is the God for the weak. So whether you don't understand the process of death and you don't even know why people complain about things, yet there is a God who is for both of us. I may be weak, you are strong. And so you don't mourn, you don't cry. And somehow your faith allow you to go through the deep, deep valleys and still you stand strong. And I'm shaking, I cannot lift my soul up. And I'm weeping, my tears are coming uncontrollably. Yet... Within us, God cares for both of us. God of the strong and God of the weak. Amen? So the background of the current church is what I want to spend the next two minutes talking about. They were enriched in spiritual knowledge. The current church is highly educated. They understand deep things. They were, they were highly spiritual. They were gifted. This is the church. You can boast about the night gift of the spirit. This was the church. They, they understand immortality. They understand eschatology. They know the afterlife. This is the current church. They were proud of the achievement. They knew that an idol was nothing. Mere, merely the representation of a false god who existed only in the darkened minds of those who worship it. That is the current church. So the current church were enriched. And they knew all this. So when they talk about food offered to idols, they are not bothered. So typical, a current church Christian can go actually to the temple to buy meat offered to the gods, so-called. And go home and with prayer, sanctify and eat and nothing happens. When you invite him to a party, he doesn't ask whether the meat was sacrificed to the idols or it was the meat you killed yourself. They just eat. The presence of an idol in the temple was not solely proof that God existed. So the conclusion was logical for the Korean church. The strong ones, they said a non-existent God could not contaminate food offered on, on the altar. For that reason, they eat without asking questions. But that is not the same for those who are weak. They have their conscience very, very pricked. They are worried as to this is what they used to do. Before they became Christians. Are they able to do it? So it bothers them. It worries them. So far is the strong Christians who are heard. Why then are the weak Christians upset with them? When their position is so logical. When the, then the strong Christians are doing what their faith allows them. Because you see. You don't always use logic. You don't use common sense always to solve every problem. You can't just talk about how strong you are and how you are spiritual and how you can stand on your own to defend every challenge that comes. No, you don't. So what am I proposing here? That knowledge has a way to let you puff up and become a little insensitive to those who are weak, to those who are struggling, those who cannot even pray, those who are struggling with fasting, struggling with holiness, with purity. 
over the Valentine weekend. And somebody speaks to you about their struggles. And so you want to extend love. But let me be careful to put it in a context. Knowledge can be a weapon to fight with. Or a tool to build up with. Depending on how you use it. I can know that for where Aunt Mary is, is safe and bring a word of comfort and assurance to let you not mourn in vain. And I can do that with all humility and encourage you. It can also be so puffed up and begin to speak about it. Like I've heard some other churches do that they will not bury people who die before their time. They will tell you, if you die in this church and you are not 80, we will not bury you. You have done something wrong. You should have lived the full of your years. In fact, some of them say it must be 120 years. So if you die, and one of these days, I'm waiting for one of their pastors to die before 120 and see what it will happen. It's unfortunate, but it's a theology out there. And because of that knowledge, it can be so poor. And we use that to destroy. We use that to let others feel inadequate and as if God doesn't care about them and that they are not good Christians. Who are you to judge? Another man's servant. Before him he falls. Or his race. Romans chapter 14. And our Bible says teach us to number our days. That we may learn to apply our heart unto wisdom. I'm here to meet one of those persons to ask what happened to Jesus at 33. I guess he was totally out of God's will. Even Gethsemane could not answer his questions. There are some who are so puffed up with knowledge. Because they have some spiritual giftings. But you see, a no-it-all attitude is only evidence of ignorance. When I went back to school to study small, that is when I realized how ignorant I am. And please forgive all the youth people. Sometimes the preaching we preach, we preach out of ignorance. Because we haven't allowed some learning to go on. By the time you do your degree or find a little something they call an MA, you realize that there is so much to learn and you don't know anything. And because of that, you must stay humble. We don't know. Because I just realized that even a professor in a subject knows too much in one small area. And the rest of the things he would defer to other professors. And might not claim an authority on it. But here we find young people who have become prophets and have become things who claim spiritual knowledge over their senior pastors. And they know it all. They get it all figured out. That is the church in Corinth. The person who really knows truth is only too conscious of how much he does not know. Furthermore, it is one thing to know doctrine. And it's another thing else to know about God. Doctrine is right teaching. Knowing about God is a relationship. You can sit in class and be taught like some of us. And we can acquire degrees, maybe more than the thermometer. And feel so good about yourself. But your relationship with God will be so far away. And sometimes you can be caught up. Highly knowledgeable. But far from God. Because you struggle with your daily quiet time. Now some have grown to a level they say they don't need to confess their sins anymore. I have heard pastors say, we have gone past confession of sins. And I said, what happened to 1 John chapter 1 verse 9? That if you say you have no sin, you are deceiving. So it is self-delusion. And it's the greatest of all deceptions. Self-delusion. Deceiving yourself. Hey! They don't confess sins anymore. Because they have grown in their faith. They are not going back to fundamental doctrines of Christ. 
Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 6. So it is possible to grow in Bible knowledge and yet there is no grace. And one personal relationship with God is difficult. And I don't know where you are now. I did not come here to judge you. But I just came to let you know that don't let knowledge puff up. And to those of you who got the copy of the programs, mommy, can I use yours? You realize at the back, I have preaching notes at the back. And I'm asking you to help me fill in. It's for you. So after the church, you can't throw it away. You can keep it in your Bible for references. So you know that all the spaces there ought to be filled. If you have a pen, as I'm going on, I say, a know-it-all attitude is only an evidence of ignorance. You can fill in with the ignorance. Love and knowledge. So the other space at the back there is love and knowledge must go together. Speaking truth with love. I said, the test is love, which is what I am about to discuss. All right. So you will find in there in your paper too. Can we all say this together? I want to hear the our people. Truth without? I'm coming back because sometimes I think we deny you access to see us, right? So I'm right in your face at the back here. And, and I'm trying to communicate with you that truth without love is? And love without truth? So what do I mean? For example, some young person comes up to the church in, in, in addressing that worries you like it's a skimpy dress it's meant to go for like a beach but somehow he finds himself singing in a choir and then you want to call this person out and help the person you see if the truth is that he's not dressed for church that is the truth i know there is a way to say it in love and if you miss it it becomes a brutality so you just imagine calling the young girl say hey then hey yo that is brutality. You have spoken the truth, but there's no love. Because I've also called, oh, young lady, I know you want to feel youthful and you dress, but in this sentence, it may cause temptation for some young men. Would you consider, you know, covering up a little bit? You have spoken the truth that the dress is not appropriate, but you have done that in love. There is a way we communicate with each other. Sometimes people sit with us in church. And how we feel about them and the things we say. We let them come back. And I know that the people who sit back here. I know Auntie Mary used to sit. He has a seat somewhere here. And yeah, 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 yeah. He has a, and I know you people are very lovely. Because people who sit back here, you care for each other. When you don't see people, you call them. You speak the truth, but you do it in love. Can you clap for yourselves here? But I'm saying that if, if you're loving people with that truth, then there is an issue with hypocrisy. So if that young girl was not properly dressed, and all you did is, oh, sister, today your dress is nice, so I really like it. Hey, why if Because why? No, 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 no. You are loving her, but it's without truth. It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You are not speaking the truth. It's not properly dressed. You can't just say out of love. We do this. So what I'm saying is that love and knowledge must go together. We speak the truth in love. Knowledge is power and it must be used in love. But love must always be controlled by knowledge. So sometimes I speak to people who come to church with issues like lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And for some of us, some of the people we work with, we hear all kinds of things. That the church is homophobic. It's afraid of people who like to have same sex things and all that. Can we speak truth in love to them? Now, brother, we care about you. And we believe Jesus needs you. You belong to this church. But this disorder with you about the feeling of a man towards a man, 
you need to be prayed for. We are not asking you to leave the church. We are asking you to get counseling. Hello? Oh, can it be said? But if you tell that, hey, this church, we don't tolerate homosexual. What do you think? We are in America. This is Ghana. This nonsense must stop with you. Get out of our church. Then there's a problem. Then they will tell you you are homophobic. You are afraid of them. You are driving them out. Where shall they go? Except to Jesus. So everyone who is lesbian and gay is welcome to our church. You are most welcome because there is a way out of love we can help you. And there are few young people by God's grace we've been able to help. They are not totally over it, but it's work in progress. As, as far as they know, we care about them. But we don't not want them to stay as they are. Because God has a love for them to transform them into his image. Amen? Oh, let's celebrate Jesus. So this is the challenge we have in Corinth. The strong believers in the church had knowledge, but they were not using their knowledge in love. So they know that the meat offered to idols, they don't have a problem with it. After who are the idols? But the younger believers were struggling with it. Some have just been converted and they were used to work in the temples. They knew this meat were offered to idols and so their conscience is weak to be able to exercise to eat strong meat. For that reason, the strong people said, what is it? We are strong. We don't care. No demon can worry us. And that was impacting them. So they were using their knowledge, but it's without love. Instead of building up the weak saints, the strong Christians were only puffed up. And so some of them will actually go to the temple and buy the meat there. To make a statement that nothing from the temple can affect their faith. And in, anyway, it was a cheaper meat compared to the one sold in the market, according to historians. Because the one offered to the temple is literally jara, so you can get it cheap. Whereas the market one was expensive. So the believers took and the weak believers were struggling. Usually the strong Christians are the ones who live by rules and regulations. And who get offended when others exercise their freedom in Christ. But I call this the Corinthian paradox. This time it's the weak Christians who must have the security of the law. And who are afraid to use their freedom in Christ. The Corinthian paradox. Can we move on fast please? It says it's the weak Christians who are prone to judge. And criticize stronger believers. Are you getting the paradox? Usually you find the strong people in church. Who will rather condemn the weak for trying to do what is not right? This time it was the weak Christians in Corinth who were criticizing the strong ones who were using their freedom against them. Eating meat and food offered to idols. That is the paradox there. This of course makes it difficult for the strong believers to minister to their weaker brothers. Okay, there is no Corinth church here. So can we talk about Calvary Baptist Church? What is the Calvary Baptist Church paradox? Dig in. Number one, the paradox of the Calvary Baptist Church is that we have strong believers who feel there's no need for prayer anymore, who doesn't come for midweek service, who doesn't show up for all night, who doesn't go for seafood, who doesn't belong to any group because they can grow by themselves. They don't need a deacon. If you ask them, who is your deacon? So what do I need a deacon for? I'm married. When I know to name my kids, I have connection with the senior pastor. He will do the naming for me. So I don't go for seafood. I don't belong to an area meeting. Strong believers. I call them the mature believers of the Calvary Baptist family. They have concluded they don't need anything from the church to grow. So they hardly show up in anything. They are strong believers who have financial stability and resources. Such people know how to speak in business meetings. And out of business meetings. In fact, some of them don't even come for business meetings. Because they think that we are not accountable. 
The leaders don't know what they are doing. We lack vision. We are just around here. Oh, we hear them. They talk about it. And you see, I'm talking about a paradox of our church. And if you are not a member here, there is a paradox in your church. Go look for it. Something that is there. Look, they, they have financial stability and resources, but I've resolved not to support church projects because they are not happy about something in church. That is our paradox. The third paradox that we find here in Calvary Baptist Church is the gifted believers who have taken back seats. You see, they are very good in criticizing where the choir failed, but they can never show up for choir meeting. They don't even have the time. But they know how you ought to dress as a choir. No, they have taken a back seat. They have proper voice. They only sing inside the shower. But they are able to tell where the choir director went wrong in the rehearsal. And why he should have given that role to Mr. This and not Mr. That. They are gifted believers who can actually see the service before it happens. So sometimes they don't even come to church. They stay at home. Gifted believers who feel the senior pastor is not prophetic enough. And so they need to look for where the prophets are. Gifted believers. That is our paradox as a church. That is a paradox as a church. We are not deep in theology. And here we don't exhaust spiritual giftings. So they move from place to place. The question I ask of all this category of people, where is the love? So if you are gifted than the senior pastor, and your theology is deeper than Reverend Dr. James, why don't you help us write the Sunday school materials? We need you. No, we need you. Oh, Reverend, we don't need them. We need them. No, no, if you have the financial resources, you think we lack accountability and vision. Why don't you cast a small vision to us to help us to move on as a church? Maybe perhaps your vision will allow us to buy the next plot behind here. And so that we can expand this place also. So why are you withholding the money from the church? We need the money. Don't be a strong believer with your money and vote with your feet. Hello? Know why I said I put on my collar today? Because I'm saying some things. Are you with me? <laughs> I said if you are so deep why don't you come on midweek service to encourage the young ones who are finding a way to pray. To encourage us in all night and to bring your giftings. And you stay home that you don't need prayer to grow because you have grown. The last time I checked, God does not have grandchildren. We are all his sons and daughters. Are you hearing me? So a famous preacher used to say, some Christians grow, but others, they swell. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen? So what am I proposing? Love builds up. Can you tell your neighbor love builds up? So it is here that love enters the picture. For love builds up and puts others first. When spiritual knowledge is used in love, the stronger Christian can take the hand of the weaker Christian and help them to stand and walk. It is when you attend the funeral and you know the pain in the heart of the children and the family, you, the strong believer, can alongside support and comfort them. But if you stay away, that what are they mourning? I don't, don't know they are going to heaven and one day we'll see and you don't care. How do you so love when we can never find you in any funeral? Uh, ask yourself, when was the last time you attended a funeral that the church asked you to? Every time, people must go for us. Even contribution in the small sheepfold, you decided you won't help. Where is the love? No, be so be power. Where is the love? You cannot force feed immature believers and transform them into giant. Knowledge must be mixed with knowledge. Otherwise, the believers will end up with big heads. 
instead of an enlarged heart. So there are people whose mind is full of ideas, full of knowledge, but they struggle with a heart that is so open for everybody. I mean, wouldn't it be nice that you see how the choir minister today and the struggles they go through, you speak to Antiquity and say, when is the next big thing and how can we help you? Other than say that this church choir, they don't do big musical concert. As if it is free to put people together. I didn't say anything. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Hallelujah. I'm trying to finish up here. Knowledge and love are two important factors. For knowledge must be balanced by love if we are to use our Christian freedom in the right way. But there is a third conscience. After we have exercised knowledge and understand the place of knowledge and we mix it with love. It leads to my last point. Conscience. 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 The word conscience simply means to know with. And it's used about 32 times. Are you filling the booklet? Your, 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 yeah, it's there. I'm, I'm using the next one. You will see the next line. Say, conscience is the internal court. That is the space on your bulletin. If you check, it's the internal court where our actions are judged are either approved or condemned. Conscience. Conscience is when you pick that alcohol, that beer, and you want to drink and you look around. It says, Oh Lord, why is the pastor here? Why is my deacon here? And says, Please, I say no to you. Conscience is an internal court when you are about to lift your hands up and hit your wife. And then it tells you, how can a man of God like you, how can a church member like, how can you, a shepherd, lift your hands and hit your wife? Conscience is when you have taken your tight and you say, ah, this tight is too big. This year, I think that God is blessing me too much. Instead of my tight of 2,000, can't I make it 800? After all, I've been paying tight of 500. Ah, they won't even know. Conscience says, no, that is wrong. Bring the full tide. Conscience is an internal court. It's not the law. It bears witness of God's moral law. But the important thing is this. Conscience depends on knowledge. If you don't know how to tide, then your conscience will tell you not to do anything. So you must have the knowledge. The more spiritual knowledge we know and act on, the stronger our conscience will become. So let me tell you how people have weak conscience. See, some Christians have weak conscience because they have been saved only for a short time and have not allowed themselves to be taught. They miss new convert classes. Somehow, they miss sheepfold meetings. They miss small group meetings. And so their conscience is still weak. Secondly, people have weak conscience because they have refused to grow. It's a conscious choice. They have made not to grow. They ignore Bible study. If we ask from January 1 to February 16th, how many of us have not missed any devotion, personal devotion? If we close our eyes and raise our hands. No, that's where it starts. You can't skip your Bible. You can't speak your daily prayer. You cannot go on skipping and allow your conscience to grow. It will remain weak. It will be weak for you. So Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it said that you have come to a place, I want to treat you like adult, but I'm not. Because you behave like you are immature, you are infant, you are children. So you can be in this church for seven years and still behave like a new convert. Those are the people who question everything leadership does. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? And sometimes they close their nose to talk. Yeah, it. And why did they do that? Why did they allow this young boy to come and insult us this morning? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because your conscience is weak. You can't even accept the truth. 
You can't. It's difficult. Why are they telling us to do fundraising this year? Every year we'll do fundraising. Please, last year we didn't even do fundraising. But you are still questioning about it. Weak conscience. Weak conscience. Number three. Number three, I'm finishing. <laughs> oh, but some believers remain weak because they are afraid of freedom. Their conscience is, is weak. It, Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7, it says it defiles. Their conscience are defiled. They allow things of this world to defile their conscience. Their conscience are wounded by the things they are allowed to go through because they refuse to grow. They are easily offended. They are, they are conscience. Weak Christians. Conscience are offense. It comes in many ways. Many, many, many ways. He said, why, why didn't they consult me before they are doing this? Don't they know I'm also a member of the church and I have good ideas even than the deacons and they should have consulted me. And he's offended because of that. He won't even support the project. But you see, the strong Christian, let's talk about it. For this reason, the stronger Christians must defer to the weaker saints and do nothing that will harm them. So now I'm coming to those of us very strong. It might not harm the mature saint to share a feast in an idolatrous temple. It might not. They are okay. Oh, it might not even be bothered if you took some red wine before your food at home. It might not harm you. But you see, we are thinking not just you. We are thinking of the weaker brother. The weaker sister. That the dress you are coming out with. It is not wrong. But will it put somebody in a place of compromise? Ask yourself. The way you are fighting the taxi driver. If it was another believer in the car. Even the throttle mate is watching you. He said, auntie. Hey, and a 50 person now. And the I want to offer him. The way I want to make Kasawa Kawi, not me fisa uko jemu, not me nimsa uba, sorry. All I'm trying to say is that he was wondering whether you were coming to church on Sunday, you were going to the market. Because over 50 persons changed. The way you insulted his mother and his father and the driver. So he's wondering whether you were coming to church. Strong believer must defer for the weaker brothers. He wants that the immature believer might decide to imitate the strong one. So when we are acting, when we are not coming out for prayer meeting because we are okay and we can pray by ourselves, can we think of the weaker ones who get discouraged and leave the church? Hello? So this is what C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, will say about temperance, about people who want to balance knowledge with love and about conscience. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons. Marriage. They may give up meat or wine or even going to cinema or theater. But the moment he starts saying that the things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do use them, he has taken the wrong turning. So I'm telling the strong believers who come for midweek service. At the time we start to condemn everybody who doesn't come for midweek service. We too, we have a problem. No, no, we too, we have a problem. Because we are not exercising our knowledge with love. Love is necessary for every action of the believer. It's important to know that the stronger believer defers to the weaker believer. In love only that he might help him to mature. The strong does not pamper the weak. He seeks to edify, to help him grow. Otherwise, both will become weak and we shall have a weak church. But in this year, in this year, God in action through love, God is desiring that we move to the most excellent way. He's calling us out of ourselves, out of our comfort, out of our giftings, out of our limitations, that we will come hither to him and we will love. For God is love. We are free in Christ. 
But we must take care that our spiritual knowledge is tempered by love. And that we do not tempt the weaker Christian to run ahead of his conscience. When knowledge is balanced by love, the strong Christian will have a ministry to the weak Christian. And the weak Christian will grow and become so strong. In conclusion, I give you two or three to think about in response. In what ways can you differ to the weak in the church this month? How many people you have not seen but you are complaining? This church, they are not doing something well. So people are leaving. The person who sat by you didn't come. Did you check on him? You who is coming? What are you doing? What are you doing? No, the pastors will do our part. We will make the phone calls. The dickens will visit the sheepfold. Your shepherd will check up on you. But you and you and you, what are you doing? No, what are you doing? No, have you realized that the people who do much in church have less time to complain? No, the way you are busy preparing for your song, you have no time to take a gossip. Because you want to be ready to sing. But if you have nothing to do, it appears the devil's workplace is the idle hand. The one who has little to do. So in this church, you must find a place to serve. And if there is no place to serve, come to Reverend James and say, Reverend Doctor, I feel called to do something, but it's not in church. I want to exercise my knowledge with love. I want to help, but I can't find where to fit. You may take the spiritual gift inventory test and know your area of giftedness, but as far as you are willing, you'll be able to. What is your response to posture in prayer, to style of dressing, to the meat of food, or the use of music for your private event? Are you puffed up? Or you are ready to edify? Shall we bow our heads in prayer? I want you to just think about this message. I know it's a hard message to preach. On Sunday morning, this one would have been good for 20 people in a midweek service somewhere and teach them. But everybody is in church. The weak, the strong, the sinner, you are all welcome to church. And today, I'm asking you to think about where you are. If you are dead, you are zero. If you are weak, you may be a one or two. The things I ask you to reflect. If you are strong at eight, we thank God for you. The church needs you. But all today, we are asking in prayer, will you defer to the weak one? Will you make room for a sinner, for a prostitute, for a drunkard to come to church without you charging him out of the church? Without you making it feel like it's nothing. It's something because Christ died for him too. Sinners are welcome to this church. Gays and lesbians are welcome. We will speak the truth in love. And we will love with knowledge and with truth. Will you talk with God where you are? Some of you, your children are here in my heart. That the way you have dwelt with knowledge and truth with your children without love, they are running away from you and running from the church. Will you talk to God about it? If your child doesn't come to church anymore, don't be hard on him. You are the strong Christian. Will you defer to a weak child, a weak daughter? Who is gone wayward? Will, will you pray for that son? Will you pray for that daughter? Will you pray for that grandchild? Will you extend a prayer to him and, and call to check up on him without bashing and condemning and charging? And making them feel they don't even fit to come to church anymore. To a family that is struggling. A family going through a divorce. For someone you've heard who's cheated on the husband. Will you be there for the weak, the falling? And help them up? Or will you wound the wounded? To the one who have lost a dear one. Who is weeping and is bereaving and he feels it's his low abs and it's, it's down. Will you be there to support without complaint, without charging them harsh? And said, if you perhaps took care of your mother well, perhaps you won't die. That is an insensitive comment. It's unnecessary. 
Will you extend love and comfort and prayer and say that this we are here with you. We will weep together. We stand with you. We comfort you because we know who your mom is. Wherever you are, the church is for you. The church is for you. Just as I am.